Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Episode 32, and today we have for the Baroness Megan. Um, so, so excited to have her on the show. She is hysterical. If you don't follow her on Instagram, you need to. She's funny. Her memes are everything because they just do such a wonderful job of encapsulating the infertility experience. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, she does this really great job of of mixing reality with humor um, because sometimes you just need to laugh because if you don't laugh, you cry, right? And um, she also mixes in reality, like the struggle of infertility. And the reality is it's not always easy. Um, and just because it's not always easy doesn't mean we can't laugh about it every once in a while because sometimes the things that we have to go through are just almost comical, you know, <laughs> like you, you sometimes just got to laugh. Um, but we do talk about some really heavy stuff today, too. Um, we have a real discussion about multiple pregnancy losses, missed miscarriages, miscarrying at home. We talk about that experience um, because we feel like nobody ever really talks about that. So we wanted to kind of have a really frank discussion about that. We talk about endometriosis, adenomyosis, um, infertility, and then um, a big part of this the discussion is also about finding our voices. Uh, we both have found that over time, um, it's almost a necessity to uh, speak up for yourself, um, particularly if we've been going through this long enough. And you know, a lot of times, the folks that I have on the show have been going through this for years, and we have learned over the years that we wished we would have spoken up sooner, and maybe. Um, this path that we're on wouldn't have lasted as long. Um, maybe not. Maybe it would have been the same. But um, we found that over time, finding your voice is very, very important. So we kind of talk about that. Um, if you have not had a chance to interact with Megan, she is amazing. And just hearing her speak um, today is just um, so... Um, what's the word? Maybe soothing. Um, I just found so much comfort in talking to her and she really put me at ease. And a, a lot of us are like type A plus who are um, stuck in this space. <laughs> we are very meticulous, detail oriented. We're task focused. And we kind of talk about that today and what that means and kind of how, you know, infertility can become this identity and you feel like because you're the whole like existence at this point is stuck in this space and um, how, you know, infertility um, can feel like your identity and, and kind of how uh, we can maybe not do as much of that. Um, so we talk a lot about everything. <laughs> it was so much fun talking to her, even though we talk about really heavy stuff. I just really enjoyed um, speaking with her. She's just so smart, so kind, so open about all her experiences and her feelings. And it was just such a wonderful um, time that I got to spend with her. Um, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Please, please, please drop me a five-star review and a written review if you really um, liked this episode. It just helps get this into more ears. If you loved this episode, I would love it if you could share the show with others that you think might benefit from it. 
And as you know, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram with suggestions for future episodes, um, ways to make the show better for you so that you get the most out of it too. Um, so, you know, I'm really here just to kind of help us all navigate through this to not feel alone, to get the information we need um, from the right resources. So um, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm totally open to that. Um, otherwise, get comfortable because um, we had a lot of fun talking, which means this is a really nice long episode. <laughs> so get comfy. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hey everyone, we're back with another warrior story and today we have Megan. Um, Megan um, and her account for the Baroness um, is on the show today and we're going to talk about her experience with her fertility and recurrent pregnancy loss, endometriosis, adenomyosis, and a bunch of other stuff. So thanks so much for being here, Megan. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm so excited. We connected online, <clears throat> excuse me, um, after, and I don't even know how I came across your account, but I came across your account and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And it is nice to bring humor to all of this because it can be so dark and it can be so hard to kind of work through, particularly when you have um, issues like recurrent pregnancy loss, it's hard to kind of stay on the brighter side of things. So um, can you kind of just share how you started your account and why? Yeah, uh, I'm so glad you find it funny. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the only one who finds <laughs> some of these things funny. Um, but I, you know, I've been going through this for a while and mm -hmm. the first year I think, I think all of us can relate to this, but just felt really lonely, mm -hmm. really isolated. And while I would have such supportive, you know, friends and family, they couldn't quite understand the nuances of, of what I was feeling as well as all the myriad of experiences and details and notes and learnings. And it was so much. So I really initially created the page because I thought I would just follow some other infertility accounts and it would be a private way to do that, a way mm -hmm. that, you know, it wasn't on my personal page. Uh, but I really started to find that they were all either somebody specifically journaling their story. You know, today I did this shot. Today I did these vitamins. Today I had this procedure. And while that's interesting, I felt like a lot of them sounded very much the same. Mm -hmm. Or it was a lot of very medical stuff. It was, mm -hmm. here's, you know, here's your fertility diet. Here's what you should be doing, should not mm -hmm. be doing. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't anything that I just felt like I was finding responded to the the feelings we were having and kind of the ridiculousness of mm -hmm. sometimes. And I, you know, I was actually, it was one of those moments where my husband had to bring his sperm sample in. But because of the pandemic, you had to do it at home. Yeah. So, I, you know, we were trying to determine like, okay, should I, should I leave the house and give you some privacy? Yeah. You know, <laughs> should I be a participant in it? And then 
And then our clinic is 45 minutes away, but they said they needed it within an hour. So with traffic, we were kind of on a time crunch. So I'm speeding down the highway while he has this sample in between his thighs to keep it warm. Yeah. I just had to laugh at the ridiculousness. I kind of looked at him and I was like, I'm really enjoying getting pregnant with you. (laughs) And, um, you know, it just, we laughed about it. And I realized that there are so many obscure moments, so many moments to laugh, so many feelings that people wouldn't get. I decided that's what I wanted to put out there. Um, I wanted people to see a post, see a meme. There's a lot of memes and I wanted them to see something and kind of smile and say, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. that is spot on. That is exactly Mm -hmm. how I feel. So, so that's why I started trying to make it a little more lighthearted. I do add serious moments because I I do feel serious moments. So every once in a while I might come on and just say like, Hey, I'm feeling really down today. And what do you all do to lift up and kind of share those feelings and try to be very honest about it. And I, share uh, other people's stories on my blog, because I really realized that while we hear infertility and maybe you think like, oh, that's just one thing. Gosh, everyone's story is so different. Everyone's issues are so different. Um, So I wanted to share people in different parts of their journey, people who have decided to stop trying and embrace a child-free life, people who are doing this uh, because they're in a same-sex relationship, solo parenting. Um, So It definitely started because I just was feeling lonely and wanted to hear from others. But slowly in time, I realized, you know, maybe we just need to relate on a human level as well. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Well, having said that, do you want to share your story, how it kind of all started, how old you are, all that good stuff, AMH, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, the stuff that we all care about. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I, we started a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband and I, I'm in a a relationship with, with a male partner. And so we, you know, we started trying the way I think a lot of people start, which is Mm -hmm. to say we, said that thing where you say, well, we're no longer trying not to get pregnant. Right. Which, you know, <laughs> when you're not using protection, you're trying to get pregnant. But right. it's easy right, right, to right. say that, right? It's right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Well, and there's like and not it, the commitment value, right? You feel like, well, if it totally. doesn't happen, you're not, you don't have to kind of deal with that f- quote unquote failure, right? Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, yeah, keep so going. We started that for a while. Um, and then it was a few months in that, you know, you start to realize, gosh, it's been three months, four months, mm-hmm. months. maybe, maybe we should be a little more intentional about this. And that's yeah. when you, it's amazing how quickly, I don't even know if there was a specific moment, but all of a sudden I look, I look back and I was like, wow, I'm taking my temperature. I'm tracking my cycle. I'm like, yeah, our sticks come out and yeah, when I decided, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, we did fall pregnant within the first year. Mm-hmm. So we never ended up going to a clinic uh, because, you know, in the States under the age, under the age of, I think it's 36, you have to be trying for at least a year before mm-hmm. they'll see you, which is very mm-hmm. frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and we fell pregnant and we thought, okay, it took us a little longer, but here we are. Um, except it was that very first ultrasound where I knew something was wrong because you go in thinking you're going to get this great little photo to put on your fridge. And my doctor didn't print the photo and I asked Mm. her for it. I was like, am I, Mm -hmm. you know, and she took a while and she, you know, as she was looking, I said, you know, I get a photo today as well to take home. And, and she's kind of like, you know what? 
I think I'd like you to come back in a week. I'm not seeing what I want to see. So come back in a week. And I did that. And she still said, okay, we're, you know, you're growing slower. I see something's happening, but it's still not where I want it to be. Let's do blood tests. And gosh, it must have been like three weeks of appointments and blood tests, just wondering what was going on and why it wasn't working. And and by the time we had gone in about three times and I was, you know, getting close to, to 10, 11, what would have been 10, 11 weeks, she, our clinic, our doctor was able to determine this, this has not been growing for a few weeks. This is, you know, not a viable pregnancy. Um, and it was just a missed miscarriage. My body was not recognizing it. My body was not dropping the HSG like it should. So we had to make the really tough decision of, you know, waiting to see if my body would catch on, doing the DNC, doing the medication. Um, so that that was my first loss. And it was really, really hard. But, you know, a lot of people would say, well, a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a miscarriage and it's common. And that was very frustrating because that didn't make me feel any better. Just because it's common doesn't make it easy. But my doctor didn't want to do any tests yet. She said, you know, this happens. Let's just try again naturally. And how old were you? Lesson. I was uh, 33. Okay. Or yeah. 34, 34 at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 33. <laughs> Sorry, okay. 33. <clears throat> yeah, no. So, because um, I know with my, and I've only had one loss, but I haven't been able to get pregnant since then. So I know with that first lost to nobody and I don't know if your OBGYN talked to you about this but no one talked to me about what that would be like like because my body didn't catch up either and so I was just waiting and she's like you know it's been a month we got we have to do something you know like we have to either do the pills or a DNC and so I and she gave me an option and so I said okay I'm gonna do the pills she's like okay but if the pills fail then we need to do a DNC. And then, so I don't know if you did the pills at all. Did you do the pills? I did the pills. um, And, and I opted to do it because I, the pills, because uh, obviously the waiting wasn't working. It'd been a few weeks already um, and you risk infection and you risk, you know, other, other issues happening that could make Mm -hmm. it difficult later. But I also really wanted to just be in in the privacy of my home Mm -hmm. Um, but nobody warned me about how physically painful it would be. Oh, exactly. I, mean, I was in the bathtub for like for like a day. It was painful and it was messy. I was uh-huh. I was in the bathtub for like a day. I it was days of pain. I felt like everybody talks about how emotionally hard they are. I didn't realize I would have contractions. Like these right. like actual shifts in your body. Yeah. I did not know. I did not see coming. Um so I, I do try to share with people like, hey, yes. nobody wants to talk about this part of it, but I wish I knew what to expect. Yeah. I, well, know, I wish I knew what that would be like. Yeah. So my OBGYN told me, she said, oh, it'll feel like, um, I think she said bad menstrual cramps. And I'm like, well, I've had menstrual cramps before. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. And she's like, do you want some like Tylenol with coating? I'm like, no, I'll be fine. I have menstrual cramps. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a, and she's like, well, maybe just, you know, have some just in case. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So thankfully I picked it up. But um, like you said, okay, bad menstrual cramps does not begin to describe <laughs> the yeah. the level of discomfort you are in. Like it, for me, I don't know if this is what it felt like for you, but for me, it felt like a vice grip around my uterus and it just clamped down. And it was mm-hmm. like this 
for two hours straight and it would not let up. And I remember I couldn't get comfortable. I was pacing. I'm like, nope, this didn't work. And then, sorry, I'm going to get graphic for a minute, but it feels like you got to take like, that's what it feels yeah. like you have to do. Okay. And like, yeah. so you're like, okay, maybe that's, maybe I'm just confusing this. And then, so you go sit and you're like, nope, that's not it. And then, so you get up and then you pace and then that doesn't help. And then, so I was like, oh, I think I need to lay down. So I was like on, I don't know how to describe, almost kind of like child's pose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, maybe this will help. Same pose, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, maybe if I just like hunch over and get on the ground, that will help. That will feel mm-hmm. nope. And then literally because I nobody prepared us for this. Nobody said like and maybe part of it is that if you haven't gone through it, then you don't really know how to describe it. But then then I started Googling what it was going to feel like because I had no idea. I'm like, is this normal? Is this not normal? Is it supposed to hurt this bad? Is it not supposed to hurt this bad? Yeah. And then and then when you actually um past the products of conception when you actually like you also don't prepare for what that feels like and how that because you're like okay now what and it feels really weird because you're like so now i just flush it right oh my gosh toilet like is that what and i feel like nobody ever talks about this nobody talks about that and if they did maybe we could like just anticipate it a little bit yeah like okay i know this is coming yeah i uh I was on Google as well, looking yeah. up photos, like, like just, I was in a bit of shock. Um, my husband was, was wonderful, but like, mm-hmm. like he didn't know what, you know, what to do or what was happening. And so it was, there were scary moments. And mm-hmm. I also ended up because, you know, you are, it's was days for me, of mm-hmm. just like blood and everything. And mm-hmm. it was way too much for a menstrual pad. I, mm-hmm. I was wearing a diaper, like an adult diaper. Oh my gosh. Just so I could lay on the couch without making a mess. And then I ended uh-huh. up getting a diaper rash. Oh no. Yeah. It was like, how is the first diaper rash I'm dealing with? My <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, my God. oh, just, and it was days later and it just felt never ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. There definitely, I, I try to prepare people and when someone is pregnant, they do often say like, look, I know, I know this might not last. I'm like, okay, would you like to like actually know that experience? Because yeah. I think that that's the stigma we could reduce. We could yes. share that. Yeah. And I think that's because, uh, I mean, I think this, and I don't know who else is listening, thinking the same thing, but like nobody told us, like we both had that experience where yes. <clears throat> no one told us that that's one, the amount of pain and two, what that feels like once everything happens, you're like, uh, uh, what do I do now? Cause it feels weird and kind of, I don't want to say wrong, but kind of wrong to be like, okay, so I'm just going to flush it down the toilet like and like no one you just have no idea what that feels like and what that means and it's it's just a very now i know you can um run tests on it now i know options but at the time i didn't and my doctor you know because it was the first one i think you know, they don't usually run tests at your yes. first loss, but now I think back and I'm like, gosh, how many months of time of heartache might I yeah. have saved if I got more information from that? Yeah. Well, and I didn't know either. I didn't know that was an option that you could um, yeah. test them. I just thought, well, <clears throat> it is what it is. And then, you know, maybe had that been an option, I may have considered doing the DNC mm-hmm. so that they could 
take it and test it and see genetically if it was normal or whatever could have contributed to it. Because after that, I was never able to get pregnant again. So like, and and my OBGYN kind of said the same thing to me was like, oh, don't worry about it. These things happen. It's very common. Right. And I think they say that to make you feel better. So you don't feel like you're, Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with you. And I understand that. But then you're just like, well, I get that it's common, but, and maybe for us, cause we're looking backwards, right? It's always easy yeah. when you're looking backwards and because we've had this, all this struggle after that, that looking back, we're like, oh, we could have, should have, would have mm-hmm. all this stuff, which is super easy to do <clears throat> Yeah. in the moment. I'm sure it's a little bit different, but um, I just, sorry, I just wanted to talk about that yeah. because for me, I remember thinking, I had no idea the level of pain I was about to go uh, into with this. And then I was just like, I had no clue. And then the the kicker on top of that, because I had talked about the pain around this before. And people have said to me, oh, wait until you have like a full grown baby or wait until you have a real baby or whatever or something like that. And to discount that experience, I think is wrong. You know, like. I totally agree. And I, you know, the thing that I heard quite a few times was, well, it's, you know, it's good news. You got pregnant. At least you can get pregnant. And I remember just thinking like, my goal is not to get pregnant. My goal is to have a child. So Mm -hmm. how is this, how is this celebratory? How, you know, Mm -hmm. we can't, we don't have, I think this is a lesson that I've learned in so much loss and heartache is you Mm -hmm. don't have to find a silver lining in loss. You don't have to find a silver lining in anything that goes wrong. Like some Mm -hmm. things are just terrible and that's what this felt like. Yeah. And it's okay for it to be terrible period. Like it does not have to be terrible. And then you're like, cause it's all, it goes into that whole toxic positivity thing where, mm-hmm. you know, like you just, you're supposed to just turn it around and make it a happy thing when sometimes it's not. And then you have to just say, you know what, it isn't. And I don't feel like it is. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah one of the, uh, I, I totally agree. One of the, one of the posts I shared once was how, saying at least you can get pregnant kind of has the same energy of saying at least you got a vacation to people who were on the Titanic. Right, 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 right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, maybe it started well, but that was not the end result. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so anyway, I interrupted you. I'm sorry, but I, I really did want to pause there to talk about the, that experience. Cause I don't think we really talk about that very often. So, um, yeah. I think our, a lot of our goals are aligned you and I with, you know, why we mm-hmm. do what we do, you know, your blog and your account. And then this podcast, the whole reason is to share these things that we don't talk about to reduce the the stigma around it, to reduce the um, discomfort around some of these things. And then hopefully the more we talk about it, the more women will feel like, or, you know, people who are having Um, issues with fertility can feel like, you know what, it's okay to talk about it. So they don't have to Mm -hmm. kind of sit in silence and darkness alone. Yeah. So um, completely agree. Yeah. So, okay. What happened after the first uh, loss? Yeah. uh, So after the first one, we, you know, we were still feeling hopeful that this 
I, you know, I wasn't identifying yet as someone who struggled. I wasn't identifying yet in the infertile community. I was identifying in the loss community. Um, but we tried again naturally and we did get pregnant again naturally. Um, and then we lost that one pretty similarly uh, and then got pregnant again. And that was a lesson that I always like to impart on people is at my age at this time, I was 33 for two pregnancies and then 34 by the next pregnancy. I wish I had stopped after two losses and advocated for myself to get some testing done because they say you have to wait until three before they'll do all the recurrent loss testing. But I, I knew at that time something is not working in me and I could have saved more time or heartache if I had just stopped there and advocated. But I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. So I didn't even know what tests to ask for yet. Um, I didn't know even, frankly, I, I didn't know I could push. I didn't know I could advocate like that. So so now I do let people know, like, look, if you know something is not working, you can insist. You can ask for tests. And if you're not sure what tests to ask for, that's where the online community can be really helpful. Um, but after the third loss, I was able to do the recurrent pregnancy loss panel. We didn't learn a lot from that. My AMH you know, was definitely low for my age. So that was enough of a reason to go into an infertility clinic to go, you know, leave the OBGYN. And also a lesson I've learned is remembering that OBGYNs are not experts in infertility or loss. They're experts in maybe bringing healthy babies into the world and delivering babies. But I was grateful that my doctor admitted, she kind of said to me after the recurrent pregnancy loss panel, all the blood work, she was like, this is where my expertise stops. This is where I don't know what to do next and you need to go elsewhere. Um, so we, uh, you know, we found a clinic and started doing the whole gambit of tests that comes with that. Uh, the first very strange one was, was a ultrasound with, with a doctor there and he was an older doctor and he's doing, you know, the vaginal ultrasound and it was probably my, like my first one with this clinic and he's looking around in there and then he stops and he calls in two other doctors and that's hmm. for a good feeling, right? right. <laughs> Someone's like bringing in other doctors and I'm sitting there, you know, I'm spread out and having them look at me and he looks at me and he says, you know, I'm retiring next week and I've never seen this. And I was just like, that's not a good thing to hear. Uh, but what he was seeing was what he thought was a full unicornate uterus. I uh, wasn't totally sure you have to do an MRI to to fully know this was during the saline ultrasound because I, you know, I did wonder, like I've had ultrasounds before I've had, you know, a lot of doctor appointments. How has no one ever seen this, but it's very hard to see even in the saline ultrasound. So I went for an MRI and that's where I learned about my malarian abnormality, um, which isn't necessarily a reason that I couldn't keep a pregnancy. In fact, because it was not you know, a unicornate uterus. Um, um, I think the most common is a bicornate uterus where it's kind of split. Uh, so malarian abnormality or anomaly is a structural anomaly in your uterus. It's genetic. You, um, you know, you're born with it, but uh, most people go their whole lives not knowing because you don't necessarily get infertility from it. And it's, you have to do an MRI to find out about it. So, or if you have a surgery, you might find out about it. So there's not a big reason why a lot of people would check, but that was the first 
kind of obscurity, which was hard, but also relieving, you know, we're like, okay, there's something wrong. That might be a reason. However, it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't carry a pregnancy. It it more often creates an issue later in pregnancy, third trimester, because there might not be as much space. So it's more of a concern, you know, at the very end of pregnancy. Um, But it also opened up an opportunity, especially doing the MRI is when they saw signs of the adenomyosis, the endometriosis, and allowed us to go more deeply and test for those kind of things. Um, still at the end of the day, my, my clinic believes that the losses were not caused by these necessarily because my pregnancies were able to go, you know, get into pregnancy. I was able to have implantation. Um, so even though I wasn't testing the losses, it's likely chromosomal. Uh, the best next step for us was IVF is basically how we got to that point. So at this point, we started IVF. I have done two retrievals. I feel incredibly fortunate, privileged, grateful that I could do those because my husband's company provides insurance coverage for it. And I just know that that's not a possibility for most people. Um, And we couldn't have done two retrievals if we didn't have that coverage. It's so expensive, but we were able to do that. And I've had one failed transfer since, which was, you know, we're testing the embryos and gosh, that failed transfer hit me harder than some of the pregnancy losses, because at this point we'd done the work we'd done. We were in the hands of science now, you know, it wasn't just me. It was science. We had procedures, we had injections. So, I mean, They were putting all these hormones into me and the embryo was tested. It was a perfect, lovely embryo. There's no reason why it shouldn't work. And so you get your hopes up and then to have it not even implant. I never thought implantation was going to be an issue for me. So it was now this whole other issue Um, that was pretty emotionally. That brought me down quite a bit. That was a really tough loss. Uh, Since then, I have done an ERA, a a receptiva, you know, I, I learned the advocacy at that point. My doctor said, we usually don't do these until there's been a few uh, transfer failures. And I said, well, I want to do it now. I, you know, don't have that many embryos. I don't like the trial and error that comes with IVF. I would like to do the tests. So we did them. I'm so glad we did. Helped give some information. Um, my next transfer cycle was canceled. Things just weren't looking perfect. And I don't really know why the, you know, I didn't develop a follicle, my lining didn't look great. So we just agreed to protect the embryo. Um, you know, it's like, feels like a, a sci-fi movie, right? Like protect right. the embryo, yeah. protect the egg, <laughs> but you work so hard. Yes. We yes. work so hard to make those. Yes. Yes. So now that's kind of where we're at is we are, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for my period to start. Uh, it's, it's very late. I hear that's very common after you've done IVF, after you've had ERAs. Um, but gosh, it's frustrating. We're just, it's mm-hmm. always hurry up and wait. Uh, I know. So what we're doing right now is waiting for the next next chance to try. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting because, and it's not to knock these guidelines. It's not to knock, you know, some of these rules that are in place. Because I understand that there's a reason for them. But sometimes, you know, particularly in your case, when you've had you know, these losses, it's like, so you want me to wait for another, like two or three losses before we do more testing? Like, oh my gosh, like, what do you, 
I feel like, and and this may not be the case, but I feel like, oh my gosh, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, how much more do yes. I have to go through yeah. to be able to and I, just? Yeah, I think it's that, and it's. I've started saying to my doctor, this is my my new thing that I say, and my doctor's wonderful, my clinic's wonderful, yeah. um, but I encourage people to say this whenever we're thinking about our next plan. I ask her, "What would you do differently if I only had one embryo?" Mm-hmm. What would what would be different? What tests would we run first? What protocol would we do first? Mm-hmm. Because emotionally, financially, logistically, yeah. trial and error is really hard. Every delay yeah. is really hard. Um, my AMH was low going into this, so mm-hmm. I also have to think about you know do you have to balance? You have to kind of do a gamble. Do I wait to transfer what we have and see that those Mm -hmm. don't work and then risk not having any possible eggs retrieved later? Do you Mm -hmm. try again? You know, what does that look like financially? These decisions, they're very hard. There's so Mm -hmm. much that goes into these decisions. It's so costly and time consuming that, you know, I, I often have to really ask push my, my clinic and push myself, talk to other people and see what they've decided and what they've done to know what is the right next step? And I think I think this whole fertility thing is so unique too, because um, like you said, like everyone has their own story, but there's no, like, I mean, there is a standard, but there's also not a standard, you know, they're like people doing all kinds of different things all across the world, really, you know, there's all these different things to try and things like that. And I think because it's a largely, at least in the US, it is largely a cash pay system you know, most people are paying cash for this, which is insane, depending on the part of the country you're in. But it's insane, period, because it's super expensive. But you know, when you, I'm, you have um, insurance coverage, but you know, let's say because I don't have insurance coverage for this. So let's say I were to go in there, and they're like, well, let's do two more transfers before we do any more testing. It's like, whoa, (laughs) you know, like I have to pay however many dollars for the meds. I have to pay however many dollars for the transfer. And like, depending on how much the testing is. So after you go, not to mention like the emotional cost of kind of going through these multiple times, it's like, I can't we come to an agreement that maybe for some of us and depending on age too, I mean, you're a bit younger than me. I'm, you know, I'm in my forties. I don't have that kind of time. You know what I mean? I don't have the kind of time to kind of figure it out and see what happens. And I do only have one embryo. I only have one embryo. And so fortunately my fertility doctor has been really good. She really believes in um, test and not guess, you know? And Mm -hmm. so she's treating it like I am a recurrent pregnancy loss person. And she's like, yeah, let's test, test you to the gills. Let's do it. You know, which is really great. I'm really (laughs) fortunate to have that. But I, I think the other part is to talk about the advocacy thing for yourself too. I also didn't learn that. And I started this process you know, older than you were. And I still was afraid to say anything. And I think this, Mm -hmm. this whole experience, um, makes you kind of mature and grow a Mm -hmm. voice a lot faster than you normally would. I mean, don't you think, like, I think I found my voice uh, way quicker in this than I would have anything else. I think too, when you have $20,000 on the line, each time you're going in for a retrieval, you're like, I have to say something or else this is going to cost me $20,000. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Do you find that that's kind of the case for you too? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, 
I think that what became a, a really big learning for me is not only to advocate, but like you said, every all these clinics, all these doctors are doing vastly different things because while the science is incredible, it's not perfected yet. And so whenever, you know, whenever people say they have infertility, they have recurrent losses, um, we often talk about it like that's the disease, but it's not. It's the symptom of something. And so whenever someone says it's unexplained, it could just be they haven't run enough tests or our science is just not advanced enough yet to explain it. But there is something medical going on that's causing our bodies not to function properly. If our kidney wasn't functioning properly, we would do everything to find out why, because we need our kidneys to function for some reason, the uterus and the ovaries are not treated the same way. We're not saying, oh, my uterus is not functioning. Well, it's unexplained. I mean, imagine having your kidney not functioning and then a doctor saying like, well, it's unexplained. Let's try it. You know, it's just the medicine is treated very differently. Um, but within advocacy, one thing that is so important is we do have to become kind of medical students because we don't know what to ask for. And so I do like the, you know, the online community, one of the things I'm so grateful for to be a part of there is learning about tests people are doing. I'm constantly uh, getting messages from people that will say something like, hey, I'm going to be using this hormonal nasal spray. I've never even heard of it. Can you post and see if other people have used it? And so I'll do a post and get feedback and connect people so that you better understand. And when I did that, two different people reached out and said, oh, I'd never heard of this. I'm going to ask my doctor about it. So talking to each other lets us know what else is available, what else we could be doing, um, because it is money on the line. And it's also the unexpected sacrifices we've made for this are, you know, our changes in our career, our changes in our social life, our changes in our, our friendships and our intimate relationships. We sacrifice a lot. We put a lot on the line for this. So I, I do think it's really important that that be respected by the medical field, as we go into this, how much we say, I mean, these 10 a.m. appointments on weekdays are not easy to do when you have to do 50 of them. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think there's a couple of things about that, too. Like just over time, um, you feel like and, you know, we talk about this a lot, too. Um, you live your life in like two week increments, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it's like you know, before retrieval, you're like, you're doing the stimulation and then you have like retrieval. And then the two weeks after the retrieval, figure out what's going on. And then after that, you decide whether you're going to do another retrieval and then, you know, all these supplements and then, all, you know, it's like mm -hmm. an insane amount of time and energy that goes into doing all this. And then same thing with your transferring, you do all the medications and then you do the transfer and then you wait for two weeks after the transfer and you just like live your life in these small little snippets yeah. of time, which and makes it really hard. Wheel. Yes. Yeah, I've described it as a hamster wheel that it's so hard to get off of. Once you're mm -hmm. in it, you are in it. And it's not a, you know, people who aren't in it like to say things like, oh, you should take a break. But the cost of time, the fear yeah. of losing time of delays is debilitating. Time mm -hmm. passing is probably me and my therapist's favorite thing to yeah. talk about. Um, just the stress of, because and this is a bit morbid, but this is this is the reality. Every month, every month that passes, I can't help but think that's one less month in my life that I would have gotten to have with a child. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I do that math and mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I used to feel embarrassed to admit that, but now I'm like, you know what, it's only fair that we're honest about what makes time yeah. passing hard and why yeah. we want to rush and rush and hurry up. Uh, but I, you know, I also know that since having that failed transfer, I do wish I had done tests before. I was in such a rush to transfer. I was in such a rush to get going on this and get pregnant. And, you know, I'm, I, I think that if I had said first, what tests can we do? It might have saved us from that loss of transfer. And who knows? It's all a mystery, right? We can't, yeah. we can't predict. We can't go back. We, we can't know for certainty. Um, we can only keep moving forward, but I do feel like I'm on a bit of a hamster wheel. And anytime anyone suggests taking a vacation, I'm just like, when and how is that vacation fitting in? Because yeah. it's just not that simple. Yeah. Um, and so as far as your first IVF experience, I always like to ask this question because my first IVF experience was, um, uh, I'm trying not to be super negative, but it wasn't great. <laughs> I won't say horrible, yeah. but it wasn't great because there's so much <laughs> I didn't know. And there's so much that yeah. nobody told me, like you get, and I always describe it as this, you get a bucket of meds. Cause literally that's what comes like on your doorstep is you get <laughs> yeah. a, like a styrofoam box of meds sent to you and you're like okay <laughs> it's a lot of medication here we go and I had no idea what they did my doctor did not explain it to me I got a calendar I got a list of medications and I just followed the directions and then after we got to retrieval phase like I didn't know what was okay because I also had low AMH at the time my AMH was like point four five maybe something like that <clears throat> this is a long time ago 2018 to the, sorry 2019 and um I was just like okay and he didn't tell me what the expectation was like how many eggs we would get and then based on that um what the attrition rate would be like from the number of eggs you retrieved how many they expect to fertilize and from the fertilized how many they expect to get blastocysts from so like, and then based on your age, right? He was so noncommittal about like everything. He was just like, well, for some it's good, for some it's bad. And I'm like, okay, for me, <laughs> let's yeah. get specific. For me, I want to know if that's good or bad. And he just was like, well, I don't know, it's hard to say. And I'm like, okay, so how am I supposed to feel about this? You know? Yeah. So I just had, I was just so confused by that first experience. And I don't know, was your first experience positive or what was that like? Um, similar in that no one wants to give you stats or info. No one wants to tell you what to expect because they can't really know when I get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of my most shared posts was when I posted like the attrition rate of each step for different yeah. ages because right. so many people didn't realize that. Right. And I was also really, I was feeling really down throughout it all because, you know, I was seeing people share on, on Facebook groups, the dozens of eggs they were getting. Yeah. And that was not my case. I was not getting that mm -hmm. many follicles. I even got to a point where I remember my friend was visiting, but I had to go in for an appointment. So she came with me and waited in the car and I came out. I just started crying because, you know, they were seeing so few follicles and I had to make the decision of, do we go forward or do we try again another month? And I didn't know how to explain to her. She was like, she was like, you usually only get one egg a month, you know, and three or four follicles. Isn't that great? And I was like, I don't know how to explain follicles to you or yeah. to you because I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, it just, it's, it's such a different world. It's such mm -hmm. different expectations. But I think my lesson, you know, what I, 
did differently for my first round that I tried to give myself more grace now because mm-hmm. I never thought I'd have to do so many rounds. Right. That's um, the other thing. I yeah. did everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did everything. I stopped eating gluten and dairy. I did the food sensitivity test. I was doing all the supplements. I, you know, I was taking my temperature every day to make sure when I was working out, I wasn't raising my temperature too much. I was, you know, I was not taking baths anymore, which I love baths. I, you know, I was doing everything, no drinking, no caffeine, nothing fun. Nothing at yes, all. Yes. On yes. top of not seeing another human being because I didn't want to get COVID. And like, right. I did this for months leading up to that retrieval. So when it wasn't this huge success, mm-hmm. I was crushed. Yeah. Um, I also didn't, I think my, you know, my second retrieval was not quite so painful. I don't mm-hmm. know if there's much reason why, but my recovery from the retrieval was pretty painful. Mm-hmm. I was in bed for a few days and I didn't really anticipate that. But my second retrieval, I relaxed. I mm-hmm. said, you know what? I'm going to have my morning coffee. I'm I'm going to go for jogs. I'm going to I'm going to try to live life a bit. Mm-hmm. The only difference was I added, you know, I was still doing acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Um so I was still doing some basics, but I had dairy. I love cheese. Yeah. I, you know, I let myself relax on some things. And I ended up retrieving more eggs, but mm-hmm. the exact same number came back normal. So mm-hmm. at the end, it made absolutely no difference when I did everything versus when I relaxed a little. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't do the recommended things, yeah. but I think I think what it really made me realize is like there's a, there's a lot we can do and there's a lot we can do for our body, our nutrition, our health. But being the healthiest versions of ourselves is going to be the best way to go into that. And that includes mental health. And yeah. my mental health was just really not good at that first retrieval mm-hmm. Uh So, you know, I think if there's really anything that I say you can do for your body that I do believe makes a really big difference, it's drink a lot of water. (laughs) Uh I'm very pro hydration. Yeah. I'm like, drink more water than you think, be drinking water all the time. But if you love that cup of coffee, if Mm -hmm. you just are a better version of yourself because you've, you know, gone to the gym or Mm -hmm. seen a friend, you should do that because it might not be one round of IVF. I'm now, you know year later, still doing it. And I can't mm-hmm. imagine if I, you know, wasn't eating dairy for this whole year, I'd be very sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I yeah. think that what that's what makes some of these cycles so devastating is when you're like, no, but I did the work. And in every other, <sighs> almost every other aspect of your life, if you put in the work, you get the results, right? Like if you go to the gym, right? Yeah. You, you eat right, you go to the gym, you're going to lose weight eventually. <laughs> it might take some time, yeah. but you will see something change, right? So yeah. you're like in, in almost every other aspect of your life, not every, but almost, you're like, you put in the work, you see a result. And then that is not the case with this. You can put in 110% of your energy, your time, everything, and be like a thousand percent committed. And even being a thousand percent committed, you can still have an outcome that is not favorable. That is not what you expected. That is not what you wanted. And I think that's what takes so many people down is like, but wait, I followed all the rules. I followed all the restrictions. I followed what everyone told me to do. And I'm still here. Why? And then that just like, I think breaks you up inside. Yeah. I mean, we make so many sacrifices. I I mean, I skipped my sister's wedding party to avoid the risk of COVID and then had that transfer fail. Like these things are, or or canceled, excuse me. So it's like we sacrifice so much and then to not get the results. I, I feel a lot about that, how in infertility, effort does not equal outcome. 
And I'm a very type A person. And I, I realized through this process and through the therapy I go through because of this process that I have spent a lot of my life where my sense of pride comes from my accomplishments. I have felt very accomplished in my career. I you know, have had a lot of achievements I'm very proud of that I worked hard for. And so they yielded results. And then I have been able to celebrate that and feel good about that. So it is a probably one of the first times in my life I've put my all into something, 100%, sacrificing other things and then having it not work. And then you look back and you say, gosh, those other things I used to be proud of, I'm not doing as well anymore because I sacrificed them for this. And so you end up you end up feeling like a bit of a failure, both in infertility, but in everything else that you sacrifice to be successful in fertility. And the only thing we can do with that and that I'm trying to do and challenge myself to do every day, some days are easier than others, is remembering that our infertility is not our identity. This is not our whole identity. This is not who we are. It's just what we are going through right now. Um, and there was a life we had before infertility. We will have a life after. The only the only thing we can guarantee in all of this is that it will end one day. Whether or not it ends with success or not, it does have to have an ending. And so remembering that our our true identity, you know, I have I have a sense of humor. I have hobbies. I have passions. I have interests. I like to read and write and run. And I have friendships and a love playing with my dog, like all those things, that's my identity. Infertility is not, uh, but we have to remind ourselves of this every single day because what I feel like is the infertile friend, the infertile wife, the infertile person. That's that's what I have started to feel like I am because it's so much of my life. And, and that's not really fair to, to me because <laughs> I yeah. more. Well, and yeah, and I think that's what happens when you're, your whole life is so um, engulfed by all of these like two week increments of stuff that you do, you know, so it's hard to kind of get away from it. Because right now I'm kind of in this limbo, I'm waiting for um, my laparoscopy to kind of see if um, endometriosis is a really big part of, you know, my problem. And so I've kind of, um, I'm kind of on like the outer circle of all of this right now, you know, and um, it feels like it's like for a little bit, you can pretend like it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? And it's kind of this weird feeling, even though like, I know that I have this like procedure looming, <clears throat> it does feel like you're like on the outskirts of this. And like for a small moment in time, you pretend like that problem doesn't exist. And it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to not have to think about all that. But at the same time, you kind of had this conversation earlier about time and what that means. And at almost 42, time is everything, you know, particularly when you have a low AMH, it's everything because I like, I can almost see and feel them just all like, poof, there goes the fall. <laughs> poof, there goes the, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so uh, you're just like, okay, so I'm just, they're just all wasting away right now. But you know, with the potential that maybe, maybe that this procedure can help mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like, well, maybe it'll be beneficial and maybe it's not poof, 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 they're yeah. all gone or anything like that. But so the question for you is with the 
endometriosis to adenomyosis. Was there any discussion about like a laparoscopy or anything like that, or maybe taking yeah. a look inside? Absolutely. So we talked about it. Um, we talked about it quite a bit. And in the end, my doctor, you know, gave me all of her advice and I looked into all the research mm-hmm. I've got. Oh, gosh, I've got binders of research now. I've just like yeah. totally studied up. In the end, we decided it was not so severe at that time that we would do a procedure and risk potential scarring or risk, you know, some other issues, um, but that we would do before a transfer, a receptiva to see what level it was at and potentially do Lupron Depot. Um, so that's why we are doing the receptiva right now. Uh, and I, I'm glad we're doing that because it, you know, it could tell us like, wow, it's so severe right now. We need to, we need to do a procedure. Um, that information, you just need that information to advise what you're going to do next. Um, and you have to, you know, you do have to, we keep saying to ourselves, you know, why, why not me? Like it could happen. Like as much as I, I don't like toxic positivity, I do think it's important to be realistic that it might not happen so that we can protect our hearts. Um, also just saying the flip side, you know, why not? And, and, you know, going about it that way, um, because if there really was zero hope, zero chance, we would not be doing this. We wouldn't be doing, taking these trials, spending this money. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the approach we, we find we have to take, but yeah, at this time we are not going, we're not doing a procedure though. I am very open to it. If, if that's the case, I have seen a lot of people who tried for years and then did that. And that turned out to be what their body most needed. That turned out to be the, you know, the difference between a successful transfer and not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then so earlier you had mentioned a therapist. Um, did you start out the whole process with a therapist or did you get one kind of as you were going through your IVF journey? I got one as I was going through and I definitely recommend people get one. Um, some weeks we talk and I feel okay. And I don't have that much to say. And then it's just kind of like a check-in. I think that knowing that I will have my therapy appointment, every, I just do it every other week. Um, it, it helps me feel a little better on the very, very hard days, knowing I'm going to have someone to talk to about it. What I said is my goal with my therapist, actually, though, because I think you should always set goals with your therapist. It's not just a matter of like sitting and chatting like with friends. And the goal that I set was actually... Um, if I, if I am able to have a baby one day or have a child through some process one day, I don't want to have my parenting reflected in this trauma. I'm going through so much trauma, so much heartache, and I want to make sure that I'm not carrying that into my parenting. Uh, so that that's why I started doing it. And I also say to my therapist all the time, I'm like, you're, you're my backup because I might feel okay this week, but if I have a failed transfer, I need that backup. I need to know that I've got, you know, someone there to talk through it with. It's also just nice to have someone to say the ugly thoughts to, <laughs> you know? Yes. The, yeah. The, yeah. 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 It's a safe space. The jealousies. The, mm-hmm. It totally is. And uh, what I really like about my therapist that I also recommend is she not only specializes in infertility and loss, but she herself has gone through IVF. So what's been really helpful is I don't have to explain things to her when we're talking about what part I'm at in the process. She knows. She knows the medication. She knows, you know, what these layers look like. So that's been really helpful. Um, But I didn't start going until after I began IVF. I I probably should have gone at the 
at the losses. Uh, I should have, you know, I think the first time I realized I needed to talk to someone else was when I started hitting the due dates of my losses and realizing how hard that was and that passing of time struggling with that. Um, that's probably when I should have started going, but I, I speak to her now every other week and it's been a really nice way to just reflect on on the fact that like just the mere fact that I talked to someone is a nice realization that like, yeah, cause this sucks. This is really crappy what we're going through. It's unfair and it does warrant and it deserves a chance to be open about it to somebody. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just gonna take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. back to our episode. Yeah. And I think kind of like you said, I think um, in the beginning, your first couple of experiences, you're, I think you just don't know what to expect. You know, the same thing. I didn't think I'd be four cycles in and still doing more. You know what I mean? And I don't think any of us yeah. are like, oh yeah, we're, I'm like so excited to do seven cycles of IVF. It's going to be so fun. You know, like nobody <laughs> I think ever is like, woohoo, I'm so excited, you know? Yeah. And so I think, um, I, I think in the beginning, all of a lot of us who, once we get that first and not everyone will obviously. So I don't want to be totally negative, but, um, you know, for those of us who have had this experience and had that first kind of devastating, like, Whoa, wait. So you mean this isn't Mm. something that is a guarantee. You mean this, I may come out of this whole thing with like nothing like it, like that's a possibility. And I think when you come to that realization, it's like, Whoa, like what, really like it's possible this could not work for me and I think when you have that realization or um then the expectation that this could potentially be the outcome it's just like it hits you like a ton of bricks and I think having someone a resource or something to go to whoever it is if it's a coach if it's a therapist is really nice to um unload because like you said there's only so much your friends and family will actually understand about the whole process and most don't like I try to explain it to people and they're like oh and there's always that like well I had a friend or a friend's (laughs) family member who yeah (laughs) yeah and or or they just stopped trying and then they just like it just happened it just you know they got their like miracle whatever and you're like okay but I'm I'm not banking on that happening you know particularly if I go through this procedure and they end up taking my tubes and that is for sure not happening. You know what I mean? So like all you can do really is smile and not because the time and energy it takes to kind of explain, well, you know, I was like, (laughs) but like, you know, but I think it's so nice to have a a place you can go to like do emotional dumping. Yes. And it really is emotional dumping. Yeah. Like just that like emotional diarrhea. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, you know, I started, I think a lot of the benefit I have found with, you know, like creating this uh, Instagram page and website is we also start to feel like a burden to our friends because you need, um, you need stamina to support a friend through infertility. Cause I realized that like friendship stamina is a real thing. I got so much support at our, our first and even like the next miscarriage 
by the third, I was just like, I don't even, I'm not even going to update people. Like it's just too much. It's just bad news after bad news. And I, I don't like feeling that the only thing happening around me and in my life is this. And so, you know, I think friends just, it, they burn out. There's, they often will ask me, so what's new, what's going on with everything. And I'm like, well, both a lot of things, but also nothing because I'm doing a lot of tests and I'm doing a lot of steps, but also I'm, I'm waiting and I'm not pregnant yet. So like you just, someone who's not going through it, it gets hard to keep updating them over and over again. So even while they want to be supportive, I think that there's a level of burnout when it comes to supporting someone because no one thinks this will take the years that it takes. For some people, it doesn't. Some people do IVF in one round and it's a success. And that's phenomenal because that one round was very hard too. Um, But that's not the case for most of us or for many of us, I should say. So when it takes a few, when it takes years, I just started to feel like, gosh, I just, I can't keep burdening people with this. And I know that they would never call it a burden, but I felt like a burden. So having a therapist, I started even taking notes in my phone. If something would happen, something would come up and I'd be like, all right, I don't see her for 10 days. I'm going to make a note so I don't forget to bring this up. Um, And that, that can be helpful, but it has been nice to have a safe space with someone that I can vomit all my emotions out to. um, And just, you know, have that backup. And I, I've really appreciated being able to express the feelings I'm not as proud of because they're, they're valid. They're valid feelings. Jealousy is a valid feeling. Anger is a valid feeling. Sadness is a valid feeling. Uh, but we don't always want to share those feelings with the world. So, you know, I share it with my therapist and sometimes on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there are those moments where I see these posts and I'm like, I got 35 eggs. You're not like, what the <laughs> like, what? like what I got Can like I have some? five yeah I'm like I have five yeah. and I was like woo I got five yeah. you know and you're just you feel that way it's real I'm like I'm gonna put it out there because yeah and, and then you yeah you can't help but feel like well what's wrong with me which is why like that's the other thing is that you shouldn't play the comparison game right because totally. you like you lose every time because there's always going to be someone out there who has more does more has you know whatever who did it in one round who did it in two rounds or made mm-hmm. you know 45 eggs or some crazy stuff like that you know yeah. like and so it's really hard to um because like I said, you'll always lose in that game but it's hard Absolutely. not to when you see these posts you know totally online you're I like, compare oh. and feel jealous of people within the infertility community all the time mm-hmm. um it is one probably like one of the most supportive communities i've seen on the internet yes the internet's usually a pretty cruel place yes uh, but this community is really kind but i do yes. compare and i i find it you know jealousies in weird places like and, and i'm sure you and a lot of your listeners feel this too but like I get, I'm envious of anyone whose birthday is the day before mine. If you're the day before mine or younger, I feel (laughs) angst over that. Like (laughs) you are going to turn, you have one more day, like those kind Mm -hmm. of things. And, and with the eggs, you can't help but want to ask, what did you do? What was your protocol for you? And Mm -hmm. everyone's different. Everyone's situation is different. Their health is different. Their body needs are different. I saw that just in the mere fact that in my retrievals, I did vastly different things and the end result was the same, but we, we compare within this community and we, it's normal. I think it's okay. I think that whatever feeling comes up from seeing someone with those, you know, that is like 10 embryos hanging out, waiting to be used. Or for me, uh, 
And I, I genuinely know and believe and respect that infertility and loss is painful no matter what your circumstance to not be able to choose your family. And the timing that you want to choose your family is debilitating. But I feel a lot of heartache when I connect to someone with secondary infertility because the pain I'm feeling is often a fear of never becoming a parent which is a bit different than being a parent and going through it. However, I understand it's very hard to want to have a sibling for your child or to have a few kids or to have to go through IVF while you have a kid at home is hard. It's, everything is hard in different ways and we will always feel like someone has it a little better and unfair by that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel that way too when, when I look at other 40-year-olds you know, cause I'm going to be turning 42 at the end of this year. And when I see other, and I don't even know how I got here. Like I'll, I remember turning 40 and going like, oh my gosh, like this is, here we go. Like I, I this is it. This is the end. Of, this is like the beginning of the end. Right. And here I am somehow two years later and still in the thick of it. And when I see other 40 year olds, which is like, no offense to all the 40 year olds, I like, this is not personal in any way, shape or form, <laughs> but it's hard when you see, it's like you said, you know, when I see someone who's younger than me, or when I see a 40 year old who can make normal embryos or something, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, why, why do you, how come you can do it? And I can't. And it's hard not to feel that way. It doesn't mean I don't like him as a person. It just means like for my own circumstance, mm -hmm. I wish that I could have something different and yeah. that's not like anything personal. Um, but we all go through it. Doesn't like one of my very, very good friends. I'm like so happy for her when she does make embryos, but at the same point in time, I'm like, Oh, why can't I do it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're doing the same hard work. Yeah. And I, I think that's what feels so unfair. Um, you know, I, I was talk. I was comparing it once to eyesight, to vision. Mm -hmm. We are all born. Some people are just born with poor vision. I, I wear glasses. I have mm -hmm. very, you know, poor eyesight. I've got contacts in right now, but never in my life did I feel like I did something wrong because I had poor vision and yes. someone else has perfect vision. It's just parts of our bodies are born where, you know, human beings are imperfect. Our bodies are imperfect. And so sometimes you have a part of your body that just doesn't function as well mm -hmm. as someone else's. And so I try to think, remember that I try to remember like that person having perfect vision does not take away from my chances to have mm -hmm. that vision, you know, their mm -hmm. egg, there's mm -hmm. not a finite number of eggs that can be retrieved. So their eggs has nothing to do with mine. And it doesn't mean I didn't eat enough carrots as a kid, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean anything. I, I, you know, for as long as I can remember, I had poor vision. And I also think about how, okay. And our vision gets worse as we get older and I don't start to, you know, my prescription has increased so much over the years and I'm never sitting around saying, well, you know what, I'm getting older. I guess I don't deserve to see anymore. But that is how we feel about fertility. We feel like, oh, I'm getting older. Maybe I'm not meant to have kids, which is ridiculous. I would never say, oh, I'm not meant to see. I would just say, okay, I'm getting older. My eyes are changing. I need a stronger prescription. And it's similar with fertility. Our, our, fertilities, our fertility is different. I'm getting older. I need to do a different protocol than I would have done at 33, 34. And so... Or even 20 something, you know, I, oh, the envy I have over 20 something. So. Yeah. <laughs> for, Let's for not reasons. go there. <laughs> for many yeah. reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, 
It is hard. I try to always ask myself if I were to replace the word fertility with something else my body does, would I feel the same way? And and that does help me remember the perspective that that what that person has, uh, you know, with their health, with their fertility, with their body has nothing to do with mine. And so just to keep focusing on mine, what is my uterus doing? What are my eggs doing or not doing? Um, and what, you know, what food makes me feel best? What exercise makes me feel best? What amount of sleep do I need? And that's what I, that's all we can do is focus on that. Yeah. And then kind of to backtrack, I know we were talking about um, friends and them kind of not understanding um, with the recurrent losses. Um, did you have any issues with like family or friends? Did they, were they supportive or did you feel like they were maybe too intrusive or I, you know, what was that experience like? I feel really fortunate that everyone tried very hard to be supportive. Um, I know that intent and impact are not always the same thing. So they might've always intended to be very supportive. Sometimes they might've said something hurtful, but that wasn't their intention. They didn't mean for it to feel that way. There's been a lot of, you know, for example, toxic positivity, like think positive, positive thoughts. I know this is going to happen for you. And sometimes with those I'm closest to, like, like my mom, I might say, Hey, you know, that, that doesn't really work for me. I know that that makes you feel better, but my, attitude has nothing to do with what's happening. And I'll be honest. Um, other times I just kind of nod and say, thanks so much. Cause I know their intention is to care. The, the real hardship in relationship changes, I believe has come not necessarily from supporting me in my grief, but just the mere fact that my life is in such a vastly different place than other friends, uh, friends who maybe got pregnant quickly years ago, and, or just, you know, had kids years ago and their kids are getting older. And so they, you know, they want to spend time with other parents, other moms. I, I had a friend, um, who had a baby around the same time I should have. And that, you, you know, that didn't feel hard at first. I, I love that child. I love supporting her. I love that. But as she goes on and she's a mom, she's spending more time with other moms and so I would see her less. And so our relationship has changed because we're at such different places in our life. And I think that's hard. That's something that I've grieved a bit is seeing, you know, friends who I thought we would go through parenthood together. Now it, now they are in such different places. Um, so that does change your social circle. It's not like this big grand moment of, you know, we're not, we're not connected anymore. It's just you look back and you say, wow. Two, three years ago, I was so close to that person. And now I haven't seen them in months and I don't hear from them. And they're busy and they're busy as a parent and their life is very different. But it's it's hard. It, it hurts to feel left behind. Um, it hurts to feel left out. I, I think that while people never necessarily intend to be hurtful, we do end up feeling left behind and left out. And that can be really tough. And, you know, having said that, I have um, not necessarily intentionally cut out people from my life. It it wasn't like something that was completely intentional, but it was kind of like you said, we were due like the exact same month 
like we were, our gestation was exactly the same. And then she gave birth and I didn't. Right. And so when I saw her, I was just like, like, I didn't expect that. Cause you know, everything was fine. <laughs> like I, for me, I, I, um, I joke around and I'm like, I just stuff everything down. I just put more stuff on top of it because then that's how it stays down. Right. It'll never come up <laughs> if you just like stuff more stuff on top of it. It's totally fine. So I always joke around and I just do that. I just stuff things down and everything's fine. <clears throat> So that's what I did. I stuffed it down and everything was fine. And then, so I remember when I saw her and like her and her baby, and I was like, whoa, like this is kind of trippy. And it just, it, um, it, it wasn't like it brought up some emotions, but it was just kind of this, I just felt confused. I'm like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like on one hand, I'm like, oh, why not me? And on the other hand, I'm so happy for you because I'm glad that, you know, you didn't have any issues. And then it just slowly, I just stopped talking to her because I just couldn't, I couldn't handle like the pictures. I couldn't handle. And then I also couldn't, because I'm not good with talking about my feelings either. I wasn't good at um, sharing what that experience was like for me. I think partially because at the time too, I very much was a people pleaser and I didn't want her to feel bad about her experience because I didn't have the same experience. So I didn't want to be kind of like you were saying that burden, you know what I mean? Like I didn't want to be such a, like a Debbie Downer and be like, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm so happy for you. But at the mm-hmm. same point in time, this really sucks for me because you know what I mean? And yeah, so I just kind absolutely. of like ghosted, you know, like, which yeah. is not the healthiest way to and deal it, with this, by the way. Yeah. And I think that we, you know, we do things with, with our friends and our, our social network because we think we're protecting someone else, like not wanting to be a burden. Or what I think happened a lot to me is friends with kids would all get together with each other and their kids. And I wouldn't be included because they were thinking like, gosh, well, Megan, she's not going to want to come to the park with us and all of our little kids. But it would feel really hurtful that this, you know, this circle, this group I used to see often is now not including me because I don't fit in with that, you know, parenthood life to them. And that's, you know, their intention is not to have my feelings hurt, but it still would end up happening. Um, and I, I do think that it it is okay. We romanticize friendships. It comes from like movies and TV shows. It is okay to recognize that throughout life and the different phases we go through and the different things we learn, friendships change and they might not be as close as they once were. I do feel really fortunate that I have had this close group of of girlfriends since like kindergarten, we all live in different parts of the country now, but that, you know, those are kind of my people that I know I can also lean on, uh, and, and never be too much of a burden. So as long as you, you know, have the people that you know are there, I do believe our time is just the most valuable thing we have to give. It's the most valuable thing we have for ourselves. And so it should be spent around people who make us feel good and make us feel okay and make us feel worthy. And if you are often feeling like you're not worthy of someone's friendship, then it's probably not the person that you want to have around you, especially when we're going through such a hard time. You know, it's it's so easy to be someone's friend when their life is good when they're at a good part of their life, it's easy to be their friend then it's fun. It's, you know, going out drinking and it's laughter and it's, it's just an easy relationship. It's hard to be a friend when someone is going through a very long period of heartache. Um, so the friends that have the stamina to still be your friend at the hard time, I know it sounds cliche, but gosh, those are the ones just really worthy of your time. Mm-hmm. 
No, I think that's a really important point to make. But I, I mean, this whole thing, there's so many different um, difficult parts of it. <clears throat> For you, what do you think has been the most difficult or overwhelming um, struggle? It's a really good question because, you know, asking me today might be different than what I answer in a week. <laughs> um because it, it does change. It's such a roller coaster of emotions. But I think that what I keep coming back to that feels so hard is, is this feeling of how unfair it is that I have to work so hard for something that other people don't have to work as hard for um, and how lonely it can feel. Even in my even in my relationship, you know, I am experiencing it in a different way because I have to go to every doctor appointment. I have to take all the shots. I have to deal with my body changing. Every round changes my body. My body looks vastly different than it did a few years ago, which is very unfair because I haven't even like gotten through a pregnancy yet. And yet I'm looking at like stretch marks and just shifts in my body. Um, so I, I just, I often just come back to, to how isolating it can feel and, you know, how unfair it can feel. And that really is because of how much time it takes, I think. What do you, for, we talked about a few of these things, but maybe your top five tips for anyone um, who's kind of going through all of this. What do you think, like, you know, either, you know, brand new to this or a veteran, what are your top five tips do you think that has helped you the most? Yeah. um, Find anyone who's going through it and connect to them, find them online. Instagram is such a good place. Like just look up all the handles you can create. People are always creating a a new Instagram handle just to connect to people going through this and send them a DM, send me a DM, like just have someone to talk to. I have a couple people in my DMs that we just update each other. Like, Hey, how'd this blood test come back? And it's just nice to have someone to give those regular updates to that gets it and cares. So whether or not this person or people you find is in real life or on the internet, it will feel so much less lonely um, when you have that. I think number two would be advocacy. Advocate to your doctors. Ask a lot of questions. You're paying a lot of money for this. And it is it is completely in your right and your empowerment to ask all the questions. And if you don't know what questions to ask, say to them, like, what am I not asking? What else can we be discussing? And what I found helpful is sharing my feelings with my doctor when I don't know the question. So I say to my doctor, I'm feeling really impatient. And then she will say, okay, well, here's how early we could do a transfer based on these tests. Here's how early if we do these other tests, here's how long this medication takes, because I knew I was feeling impatient, but I didn't know how to approach that with her. So, you know, just talking to your doctor about how you're feeling and and advocating is really important. Um, I do think therapy helps. And I know it's not for everyone. Maybe your version of therapy is journaling. Maybe it's, you know, talk therapy. Maybe it's just having a consistent call with a friend who gets it once a week. But somewhere that you can voice your feelings and express those is really helpful. Um, feel all the feelings because they're not wrong. It's not, it's not, there's, our bodies were made to feel jealousy. If they weren't, it wouldn't be a feeling we had. It's natural. It's normal. So if it's jealousy, if it's anger, 
it's okay to feel that. And you don't have to talk yourself out of it. You don't have to say buck up. You don't have to say, you know, have a better attitude. Like just feel crappy. You feel crappy right now. You feel crappy right now. That's your reality. And that's okay. I realize uh, recently that when I'm feeling good, when I'm in good times, when I'm feeling more upbeat, more energized, more happy, I'm constantly thinking to myself, gosh, this happiness won't last. This isn't going to last. This is going to go away. And yet when I'm feeling down, I never say to myself, well, this won't last. You'll be happy again. This is going to go away. So I think it's, we know that we know that our, we've felt happy before and we've felt sad before. So if you're feeling down, it will, it will go away in time, but it's okay to sit with it right now, as much as you should enjoy the happiness, the updates when you have them. Um, and I guess my last would just be like, drink a glass of water right now. <laughs> water, just sit outside, but sit outside and drink a glass of water. I promise it, it. It's just like the smallest, easiest thing we can do for our physical and mental health is have a glass of water and sit outside. Um, so, you know, like we talk about all this negative stuff, right? All this horrible stuff, stuff that we're like, oh, this is like the worst. So not to be like, have toxic positivity in this whole thing. But I do want to say that there are some positive things to come out of this experience. So for you, what do you think is something positive that came out of having to go through this? I now know without a doubt that, and my husband and I have been in a relationship for over 10 years. And now I know that we can get through really, really hard things. Uh, we had normal ebbs and flows that life has. We moved across the country together. We, you know, we travel a lot. We do all of that together. But it wasn't until this that we really, our relationship was really challenged. Um, our support of each other was really challenged. Our fear of losing one another was, you know, I had that fear was really challenged. He, he doesn't have any medical issues with infertility. Like the doctor even said like this is some fantastic sperm he was walking around like wolverine <laughs> like he was just so proud of that um, yeah 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 so, so and i remember thinking like all right calm down you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know we 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 really we've had challenges in this and i am so grateful for him and it's not easy every day but we do feel now uh, a trust that each other is there for each other when things are really, really bad. And like, you know, life, I, I hope we live a long life. So there could be other things that come up in life that are really bad. And we'll be able to look back and be like, look what we got through. We can, you know, we can work mm -hmm. through this. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a really a good thing I learned. I've seen which are the friends and the people in my life that, gosh, they care about me. And you never want a reason to test that, but they really care about me. They, they are my friend when I have been the worst version of myself and wow, mm -hmm. good for them because I don't even like me all the time, but they are still there being my friend and they might not like me that day, but they're there. And I just, mm -hmm. I, I'm so grateful for those people that stick through that. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, you know, something I hope to learn, I hope to look back and be better mm -hmm. at this though. I'm not is patience not a patient yeah. person. Um, mm -hmm. I, so I think that's a big thing. And another thing I haven't quite accomplished yet, but I am working on is um, knowing that my identity is not wrapped up in my achievements, that I mm -hmm. am still valuable. I'm a valuable person, even if I'm not achieving the goals that I'm setting forth. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are all great. I mean, there's so many, I think, different people learn along the way. So it's like, it's always nice to hear what other people have. And I think part of it too, <clears throat> when we were talking about earlier too, it's like, for me, like finding my voice mm-hmm. in all of this yeah. has been um, like an interesting I guess, bonus mm-hmm. out of all of this, if there is a bonus that you can have from this. I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm not, I'm less afraid to speak up about it. And yeah. I think that comes with the limitation in time, mm-hmm. knowing that I only have so much time. It's not, it's not infinite, right? Like it's not forever and ever and ever. I only get from here to here to try. And at some point in time, my body's going to say, okay, all done. Yeah. You know, like and no you- more. And we're you're going to be in a bigger hurry than anyone else. So it does help to speak up, you know, mm-hmm. our doctors are able to have more patience. Um, uh, and I think that, yeah, it, it's, I spent a lot of time feeling like, you know, this is the doctor, they've got all the years of medical school and residency and their specialty, and they know what they're doing. And I just should trust them. So I don't say anything because I just need to trust and respect them. But every time I have spoken up, respectfully and given my suggestion and my thoughts, it's been phenomenal response. It's been, here's why, you know, my doctor might say, here's why I don't recommend that. And I appreciate knowing a little better. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's a medical reason why not to, thanks for sharing. Or they say, okay, we can try that. And here's what it'll look like. And I, you know, I've, I've never had any negative consequences from just asking. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a very important point. I think um, how you ask is very important as well. I think making it a collaborative effort instead Mm -hmm. of, and you may get to the point, some people might get to the point where they're so frustrated that there's a lot of anger and resentment behind their ask. But I think that um, having a space where it feels collaborative as Mm -hmm. opposed to you know, and if you've been dismissed a bunch of times, it's hard not to feel that way, you know, so I'm not dismissing that. Um, but for me, what I've understood and felt is that when the relationship feels collaborative, when it doesn't feel one-sided is when both parties win, mm-hmm. right? Because ultimately they also want success. So, and you obviously want success. You both want success. So if you work together, then you certainly can achieve that. Um, and I think how you approach these questions is important, like you said, respectfully, and just really coming from the space of, and I usually, when I ask a question, I will say, look, I understand that I don't know. I just want to know what the harm is, or maybe can Mm -hmm. you educate me on this? Yeah, You know what I mean? So I, I kind of ask that, like, can you educate me on why this is a good or not good way? Or, you know, I know that, you know, you have the training and I don't, but, you know, I was thinking and reading and I kind of uh, saw or understood this would I be a good candidate for this because X, Y, Z, whatever, right? <clears throat> and that has been well-received. However, I think finding the right doctor also matters. So I think the, the other thing that I didn't learn in the beginning was saying, this is not the right doctor for me. And that's okay. Not everyone's going to be the right fit for you. And that's okay to just be like, you know what? Maybe I need a second opinion. And that's one thing I wish I would have done in the beginning is to, instead of just going with the first one and kind of like you said, we're in a hurry. We're like, okay, this is it. And we don't know any better. Like depending on where you are, obviously when, if you're 40, then, you know, you're on a bit of a time crunch. So you may not have as much time, but I think finding the right doctor, it took me a few tries. Like I, um, my current doctor is my third fertility doctor that I talked to. And so, you know, the first one I went with, 
wasn't that great. And I talked to a second one and I was like, oh, okay, maybe. But I w- went with the second one almost purely on price, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost entirely on the cost. Yeah. And because there, it was a very, very reasonable cost. And I thought, okay, let's do it. And then my third fertility doctor, it was a recommendation of a friend. And she said, you know, like, I think this would be a really good option for you. Just try. And I'm like, oh, fine. And talk to another one. More time, more money, you Mm -hmm. know. And um, I'm really glad I did because like this was the type of collaboration that I was looking for and the openness that I was Mm -hmm. looking for. And I think that's something that's important, too, because some people ask. Um, and I don't know if you get these questions too, but sometimes I get asked, when do you know when it's time to find a new fertility doctor? Mm. And I'm like, well, if you're thinking about finding yeah. a new fertility doctor, like there's obviously something inside you that doesn't feel right. And I said, you know, a lot of it, I was like, you kind of go with your gut and you go with your feeling. If you're feeling like something about this doesn't feel right or because, you know, if you feel like you're not trusting each other, then I don't think that's a good space to be in moving forward because you're always going to be questioning Mm -hmm. them. You're always going to be questioning whether or not, you know, this is the right step. Do they have my best interest in mind? That sort of thing. And if you're in that space, then maybe it's time to explore a different doctor Mm -hmm. or exploring that different doctor might help you realize, okay, this guy really isn't that bad. And maybe they were the right fit for me. You know what I mean? So I think because there's so much time and money invested in all this, it's important to find the right partnership. And I really do think it's a partnership. The right, I think, doctor will make it feel like it's a partnership and not like a directive, you know, like not that you're going in them for them to just direct you what to do. It's really like something that you do together. And I think the 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 fertility doctor that um, has your best interest um, at heart will kind of make it make you feel that way that you guys are working together to make it happen. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, I think that's so spot on. Um, it never hurts to do a consult somewhere else. I, I have had consults with other doctors, uh, and I just have asked them, what would you do differently? Like, here's everything I've been through. Here's the protocols I've done. Would you do anything differently? Um, and even in those consults, I've learned a lot. I've learned things I can bring back to my doctor and, and say like, you know, what about this option? But I agree. I think that it does need to be a relationship. And it's not to say that a doctor is not a great doctor. It just might be that they're not a great doctor for you. And frankly, I think doctors really get that. They This is part of their field is like people get second opinions. And it's I think it's really, uh, really common. And the only thing that often stops people is the time it takes to do that. But I also, I just keep looking back and thinking like, gosh, if I had put forth a little time here, I might've saved months later. And that comes up a lot. So yeah, I I definitely agree. And finding that person that collaborates with you and cares about you achieving your goal is, is tremendous. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. So now time for questions. (laughs) Okay. We have a few questions here submitted. Um, let's see. Um, how has keeping an infertility page helped you through this? Oh, gosh. I have absolutely loved having this page. Um, you know, I, I started for the Baroness really for selfish reasons. I was feeling so lonely and it has helped with that. It has just helped me connect to people that understand the feelings and are going through this. It has really taught me a lot about what tests to ask for, what to advocate for. Um, but I, honestly, in a lot of ways, it has given me an outlet for feelings and thoughts. 
you know, it's a place to, to put them out there, to ask questions. I, there's so few times in our life when we're going through something where, at least from my circumstances, no one in my real world had gone through it in this way. I had some people who maybe struggled for a little bit. I had one friend who did IVF, got pregnant on the first round and now has a, a three-year-old, you know, people on the other side. But I had no one that I could talk to about what I was going through day after day after day. And then suddenly I had hundreds. I had people going through it too. Um, so I've just felt so much compassion there. I was very nervous at first because the internet can be a very <laughs> unkind place. Yes. But I have felt mm -hmm. that this particular pocket of the internet is kind and compassionate. Um, and I, I'm just so grateful that I created the page and could connect to people. I'm also so grateful that the secondary outcome has been, it seems people have really enjoyed following the page. I absolutely love when someone messages me after I post a, a meme or something and they're like, that is spot on how I feel. And you put it perfectly mm -hmm. into words and they're laughing about it. And I'm like, God, I feel so good to know that someone who I know is going through a hard time felt a little bit of a connection, a little bit of joy from something that I posted. And that that's mm -hmm. just been the most wonderful. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, I always think that your posts are hysterical. So <laughs> I'm, always, I'm like, man, why can't I be that funny? Like, I'm just not that funny. Or like, I feel like in my brain, I'm funny. But when I, I say anything out loud, it's not funny at all. <laughs> I'm the only one laughing usually. Posts. I'm like, is this, is this TMI? Is this just too ridiculous? But you know what? I'm going to put it out there and see what yeah. people say to it. Yeah. Um, here's one. Um, no question. Just that I love her. So oh. you got a little love note. Oh, I love you too. Um, <laughs> Um, and then someone else asked, um, did you get any advice on the laparoscopy surgery for endometriosis with low AMH? Uh, you know, I, not, you might be able to answer this a little better since you've gone through it. We did consider it. We've opted at this point not to do that um, because one of my concerns was it can, you know, so, there's some evidence that it can cause some scarring or it can, you know, any procedure can drop your AMH a little bit lower. Um, it can impact the, the retrieval opportunities later. So I, mm -hmm. you know, I decided not to do it for those reasons right now. Uh, I think mm -hmm. a lot of it depends on how bad your endometriosis is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure if you felt the same way that it was worth those risks because of the endo. I was just going to say, because I have implanted before, I've had pregnancies before, um, that was something that we factored in at the time of deciding I'd had pregnancies before, none successful yet, but um, I know that that procedure is much more common when you are going for a long time with no implantation. Yeah. So um, for me, no, 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 please. Um, so for me, the discussion was a little bit different. I think my scenario is a little bit different too. One, I'm older, so I'm going to be 42. I think my chances are dwindling, right? My percentage gets lower exponentially at this point at around 42, right? It's just going to like start like steep drop. And um, so I think that probably factored into my decision, number one. Um, number two, um, I um, haven't done a transfer yet because I only have one embryo. <clears throat> but um, there was, so how it started for me was um, my fertility doctor saw what she thought uh, was a polyp. And so we're going to do a hysteroscopy. 
And so during the hysteroscopy, the um, GYN that was doing the hysteroscopy was like, whoa, you're, there's something wrong with your uterus. Like, I don't know what it is, but this is really weird. Like I can't, your anatomy is weird. And then he had done an ultrasound before and he said, I think you have a lot of scar tissue. And we had a really long discussion. He was kind of 50-50 on this. He said, look, you know, the data in the US is different than the data coming out of Europe. Um, in Europe, they might do this. Um, and in the US, the standard really isn't to do this. But for, you know, you, we can kind of talk about it, what you think. And he thinks that because um, there's scar tissue, that's kind of like pinning my uterus to itself, like it's kind of flipped backwards and onto itself. He thinks there's scar tissue pinning the two ends together. So his thought was going in to release it, to release it to see if maybe having it in a better position might be better for me for a transfer. And then he also thought that there might be the scar tissue causing that um, the uterus to kind of stick to itself, that maybe, um, you know, there is scar tissue elsewhere and he might be able to go in and get it. But he, he did talk to me about uh, considerable risk, um, lots of risk tied to doing it. And the chance that a uh, couple of things, ch chance that it would have zero uh, positive outcome, meaning it would not change my current scenario. I would be in the exact same place I was before. Um, so that was one thing he talked about. And then the second thing he talked about with me <clears throat> was that let's say there was endometriosis and there was some in my bowel that there's a possibility that for a short period of time, I would have to have a colostomy if it was like really intricate in a significant around amount of my bowel was involved. And that was something he would need to do. He would need to do. Um, and he said, you know, that it's, it's rare that it happens, but it could. And so, of course, that's in the back of your mind, right? And then the other thing, too, is that during the hysteroscopy, um, if there's fluid in the tubes that you see, then there's a chance that they'll take the tubes. And so in, in order to for the transfer, to help the transfer, right? <clears throat> so if you take the tubes, right, then that means that any chance of, you know, natural pregnancy goes out the window. So... Um, there's a lot of risk. Um, there's a lot of things to think about. I don't think it's an easy decision, but I had a conversation with my fertility doctor, I had a conversation with my GYN and, you know, kind of really talked about um, pros and cons to all of this. And then just decided for me, this is probably the next best thing. And I have really, really crummy egg quality, like really terrible egg quality. That was the big thing that came up in our conversation too, which is um, knowing that the lap can lead to, to scar tissue injuries in the ovarian tissue. And that's what studies have said it can, you know, reduce your ovarian reserve. Um, you know, our conversation was, is there a chance we'd ever want to do another retrieval? Uh, and, you know, if, if we, if the embryos we have don't stick, we don't have that many, then we might want to. And that was a big part of the decision as well. Whereas I know that if people are done doing retrievals, they're not going to do another retrieval. It might make a lot more sense to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, for me, our conversation was, well, plus or minus, maybe it could help my egg quality. Like maybe if we yeah. get rid of the endometriosis, but there's no like... There's, there's no definitive answer, right? There's no promise. There is never a promise. There's never a guarantee. That's like, um, I had this post the other day that I put up that was like, the only thing that's certain about all of this is the uncertainty mm -hmm. because there, you really just have no idea. Like none of this, there is no guarantee yeah. with anything that you do and any decision that you make is 
you just don't know. Yeah. And so, and, and I know this going into it, like I know this going into this procedure and it's a choice that I'm making. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to process. And I think you have to kind of look at so many factors. Yeah. IVF is kind of like a choose your own adventure book where like, if you choose option A, you jump to this page, option B is this page, but you don't know what's on those pages and you don't know where it will take you. So it's, it's taking the information that you have and talking through it with your doctor. This is where second opinions can be really helpful. Um, and you know, and then you, you go from there and you just know that, uh, whatever decision you make is, is unique to you, is unique to your body. Yeah. Well, and I think even just our conversation about this right now, you and I got two different conclusions from Mm -hmm. the information that we got. And we have two very similar diagnoses, you know, Mm -hmm. like not all of them, but the adenomyosis, endometriosis kind of portion of it, like it's very, very similar, but we both came to different conclusions based on, um, two, like two different doctors and, Mm -hmm. um, just our two different experiences or two different bodies, two different age groups, two different, I mean, you know, it's just, it just, I think speaks to just spending time with your fertility doctor to figure out if this is the right option for you and to really ask about the pros and cons to really ask about why you would or would not do it at this point in your life at this point in your experience. I think that's important. And I think that will help you kind of figure out if that's the right step for you, but like choosing to do surgery is super, super difficult decision yeah. to make. It's it's these kind of decisions that make me real, like it makes it so silly when someone says, just relax. Yeah, right, 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 right. Or like you someone, know. someone. If only it were that simple. Well, and it's like when someone told me when, to, uh, what did they say? Uh, they said I had to manifest it. And they're like, just, oh you gosh. have to like <laughs> practice like manifesting. And I was like, if all it took was me manifesting it, <laughs> like, I would have done that four years ago. (laughs) Like I would have done that and it would have happened and we would have been good. Like I'm so far beyond this manifesting thing. (laughs) Like it's, I'm no, I'm like, I've just spent like 10 grand on medications. Like no (laughs) manifesting is off the table. Like I'm, and it just, and it just is comes from, I know it comes from a place of love. It comes from, you know, them wanting to support you and like stay positive. It'll happen. You can do it. But at the same point in time, like, if, if that's all it took, the, all of us mm-hmm. would be like in a, such a better place right now. Like yeah. we would not have dropped all this amount of time, money and energy into this. But I think part of it is just they don't know. So I don't want to like I, right. I don't want to knock them. But at the same point in time, from our perspective, uh, not super helpful, you know, like just to say. Yeah. like, And it's you know, it's it's a it's a reason why I love podcasts like this, because we are we are like really making an effort to show people these are medical conditions Mm -hmm. that cause infertility. You know, it's Mm -hmm. there's medical scientific reasons we're trying to address. Mm -hmm. And to your point, your example earlier, right? Just manifest better vision. Just if you could just (laughs) manifest better vision, it'll happen. Right. And I think I think you make a really good point if we switch that out for something else that it just kind of really brings into light like oh okay that sounds kind of silly right yeah but i get it because you know it's it's because fertility is such a mystery right like it's it's Mm -hmm. like this whole because we don't talk about it nobody talks about it nobody and we are still as you said learning so much about it and our bodies and you know like some of it feels like it's like such a 
freak accident that things happen or don't happen. You know what I mean? It's like a miscarriage. Everyone goes through it. It's a freak accident. You can't help it. You know, it just feels like there's so little control over it. So things like relaxing or manifesting or whatever, um, you might feel like would be helpful. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not trying to be super negative. I don't want to like knock people who mean well, and I understand they mean well, but maybe we change that conversation in different ways. They can be supportive, you know, like still be supportive, but maybe say something different. Um, yeah. Okay. Another question is, um, have you used an immune protocol for stimulation, not transfer? And if you have, which one? I haven't. So is that something that you would look, <laughs> I don't have an answer to that, but I would be, I would absolutely be open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's something that I, I read up on a bit. I'm, I'm open to exploring. Um, and I think that if we did find we need to go through another retrieval, uh, I would much more seriously look into that first mm-hmm. and, and try to explore if that's a fit. Um, I'm not sure. Have you, have you gone to? I haven't yet, but I, Maybe I, I am, I'm going to, I made an appointment with a reproductive immunologist and for the transfer though, not for a retrieval. Although I'm curious, I'm curious enough that like, yeah. I, I would ask, I mean, at this point in time, because I only have one embryo and I've done four retrievals, I mean, you know, there's only so many more I have for many different reasons. One, my age, two, money, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't have insurance yeah. that covers it. I have to pay cash. It's really expensive. So, but I would be open to having that discussion about like what, because how I view it, and it's not the space that everybody is in, is that I'm already coming up with nothing. Mm-hmm. What's what's worse than nothing? <laughs> you know, like yeah. if I'm already getting zero normal like embryos, what is worse than zero normal embryos? I guess what's worse than zero normal mm-hmm. embryos is like no, no embryos, period, I guess. Right. Like it mm-hmm. stopped making them, I guess. Um, yeah. But so that's my yeah. thought. And I'm like you, I'll try any, I'll explore and try yeah. anything. If you told me that walking on my hands, yes. you know, during the full moon yes. and like drinking yes. orange juice upside down would do it. Yes. Great. I'll give it a try. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, not that, yeah. not that seeing an RA is, is that, but it's, it's all to say there's, there's no, uh, there's no medical pursuit. I wouldn't be open to learning more about and, mm-hmm. and trying. Um, and I, and I have posted on my, my Instagram page, like asking people if they, if they have, and I can mm-hmm. share those responses before. Um, and if anyone does have experience, you know, definitely, chime in because it's, we're all looking into every single possible option. Yeah. And I'm in the next few weeks, I'm going to have a reproductive immunologist on the show because I know nothing about this, right? Like this is all like new to me. So I'm going to just ask a ton of questions. So if anybody out there has questions, send them to me. Like I'm going to do a story just like I did for this episode where I I put a thing out asking for questions. So please, please, please ask questions. Um, because I know I'm going to have some, (laughs) because I don't even know much about it. I know there's a book about it out there. I'll put a link on it. It's, um, I, I did order the book. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) It's sitting on my shelf too, ready to, uh, for me to read, but I'm, I'm curious enough that I, I would like look into it. I mean, I've done other crazy stuff too. I've done PRP and I've gotten, I've done two rounds of PRP and I've had some people like ask me like, well, what do you think? Didn't really do much for me. The two rounds that I did, uh, would I do it again? Sure. You know? Um, and I would, I would try it with a different doctor just out of curiosity. Um, so, I mean, you know, I've done PRP. I, 
have a red light at home that people kind of ask about too. So I've done that. Has it helped? Uh, not really. <laughs> like, you know, like all of these things. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll try it. I'm like, I'm already spending $20,000 ish plus or minus. Uh, the average across all of them, I think is roughly 20 ish thousand um, for each retrieval. I'm, will I drop like $500 on a light? If it, if I feel like it'll give me a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll try it. And it sounds like I have a ton of money. I don't like I've have three rotating loans that I have out like paying for this, you know? So, uh, um, it's not without cost or risk, but I, um, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it, if uh, knowing that in a shoot short few years, this will all be over for me, for me, I want to know that I've tried everything that I could um, to make myself feel like, okay, yeah. I did everything I could. And whatever space I get to at that point, whether it's, you know, donor eggs, embryo adoption or adoption or childless, I don't know. Um, but then at mm -hmm. least I feel like when I got there, I did everything I could. And then I can hopefully have some closure. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I'm looking yeah, at it. I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Let me see. Uh, next question. How do you get people to understand and appreciate the pain of recurrent losses? I I don't know if I've been successful at this. If you haven't gone through it any, I, I don't think you can any more than someone could try to get me to understand what it feels like to, to lose a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my parents are both still alive. Um, and I've seen friends lose their parents and the grief that comes with that. And, and grief never goes away. It, it morphs and it expands and it shrinks and it expands again. And, um, I would never pretend that my friend could ever find a way to get me to understand her grief because she couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that I do what I would love for, for people more to understand is that they can't understand how painful it is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people haven't been through it will say like, yeah, you know, I know, I know what you must be going through. And, and it's different in different ways. It's different than one loss. Sometimes I feel that, you know, that kind of heartache we talked about earlier when I've had several losses and someone says, yeah, I, I had a miscarriage before I had this baby. And it's like, it's just not the same thing mm -hmm. because I'm, I still don't have a, a baby and I've gone through this multiple times but there's always someone who is something else to compare to. I think, I think we try really hard to uh, sympathize with people, but what we really should be doing is empathizing. Mm -hmm. You you may never be able to know exactly the grief I feel. Mm -hmm. um, how some days, truly, I I get out of the shower and I sit down on my bed, and for no reason, I just start crying because I just feel that heartache, that mm -hmm. stomach ache. And I just have to feel that. And I, I don't think anyone who hasn't gone through it can understand it, but empathy is about caring about that person. And, you know, regardless of if you know yourself, how it feels, you know, they're going through something very hard. So yeah, I think, I think we need to stop trying to get people to know the pain they never could, but if everybody could try to appreciate and respect the pain and know that it's not only one week or one month, that it can go on forever, 
that I know people who've had recurrent losses and then did have a child and still feel that trauma and still worry and, you know, fear for, for many things. Um, that, that would be to me a, a greater success if people could just respect that they, they don't know the pain, but it is very painful. Or that it's, it's valid at any stage of loss, early, mm-hmm. middle pregnancy, late pregnancy, it all mm. is difficult because I think we also hear a lot of like, it, at least it was early, right? Like, I think we get that yeah. too. Like, at if least it was early. With at least, just stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if your sentence starts at least, stop right there. <laughs> Nothing you say after. It's the same as, you know, when someone is about to say something unkind, they say like, you know, they say something. I'm not a whatever, but it's like, yeah. nope, stop right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think that's another important thing too, because I think some people who experience them early on, you know, before 12 weeks, they're like, oh, well, it's early or it doesn't count. And I I would argue that, you know, it's just as hard for some people in the beginning that it is at 20 weeks that it is. And I get that, you know, when it's unexpected, it's hard at any level, I guess, I guess is what I'm saying that, um, and certainly different people will, will experience it differently at each stage too. Some people really will not be triggered at, at all. And that's great. If like, if that doesn't bother you, that's great. And, um, there's no issue with that. Right. Uh, but for the people who do struggle, even at early stages, six, seven, eight weeks, whatever, then I think that that's still, that's still a valid feeling to have, even like 10 years out, if you're still thinking about it and it was at six weeks or whatever, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that um, that is also difficult and that that feeling is valid and does not need to be dismissed. You don't have to talk yourself out of it. Like, oh, it wasn't a big deal or whatever. Because I feel like that comes up a lot too. Like, I've been told before, like, oh, well, it it was early, so it's not really a big deal. And it's like, well, it was when the plan was, you know, that you had expected that that would go further, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, One more question. Uh, What advice would you give someone struggling with infertility? You know, outside of some of the things we've already shared, I, I don't know that I have some magical advice. I... I would just validate you. I would just want you to know that this is a hardship that nobody can anticipate how hard it would be. I don't care if you were born without a uterus and you knew from that day, there's no way of Mm -hmm. knowing what these feelings would be, what this experience would be, or this journey would be. And I just want to validate that however you're feeling about it and whatever you're doing to address Mm -hmm. it is valid. Some people decide, you know, treatment is not for them or they're embracing a child-free life or, you know, what, or they're going to look into other options to build their family. Those are all valid decisions. They are courageous decisions. And the days that feel really hard are valid. And if you have a day that doesn't feel hard, and you forget about it. And at the end of the day, you feel guilty over that. That's okay too. You have permission to have mm-hmm. good days too. Um, so, I mean, outside outside of just drinking water and finding other people who've gone through this to, <laughs> to connect yeah. to, just know that everything you're feeling is, is a valid feeling. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on and sharing so much 
information and so much um, wonderful advice and your own story. I'm so, so grateful. How can um, people connect with you if they have questions for you, if they want to check out your site or check out your funny memes? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Instagram is the best way. The website is uh, forthebaroness.com, um, spelled barren, you know, because we're all feeling quite barren. <laughs> uh, yes. And on Instagram, it's at four underscore the underscore baroness. Uh, and send me a DM, connect to me there. I, I really love hearing from people. I've really enjoyed this. I feel like I was just chatting with a friend for a few hours. So this has been wonderful. Yeah. Um, but definitely connect to me because like I said at the very beginning, it's the whole reason I created that page was just to, to build a community. Um, it takes a village to try to have a child. So, you know, we are building, yeah. we're building that community. Yeah. And I agree. Like, I think when I kind of first started, I don't know why I think part of it, I started mine was because I was angry. <laughs> I was angry that at 40, I didn't know all these things that I had to know, um, like that your fertility like decreases rapidly after a certain age. I'm like, no one warned me. No one was like, you know, and so I really wanted to put stuff out there and kind of as I was going through it, like you said, you feel lonely and you feel like you, you want to connect with people. And for me being over 40 and 40 and over, um, I felt like there wasn't like a lot out there for some mm -hmm. of us who are older. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started mine. But then I kind of really started to experience all these different stories. And I'm like, you know what, these in stories are important to share. Um, because, you know, we do share a lot of the similar feelings, like you and I share this thing about time, mm -hmm. you and I share, you know, these feelings about being lonely and then kind of having gone through our losses. So we can, even regardless of our age, share a lot of similarity, similarities in our paths. But at the same point in time, we do have some differences based on age too. So I, I, I agree in finding someone to connect to because that's so helpful. Like I've, I've met so many people on this and I had no idea this whole Instagram world existed. <laughs> like when I first started, I'm like, what is this? I, I don't even know how or why I came across it. But I was like, oh my gosh, there's all these people and they're so wonderful. Like you said, they really are. I have not met an unkind soul, yeah. I think, in the past year and a half or so that I've been in like the midst of following all these different hashtags, I don't think I've met one soul that has been unkind or not supportive or anything like that. So yes, please reach out to any of us. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all happy to share. Um, but hopefully um, you'll come back and share um, an update at some point once we kind of get further along Absolutely. and either you do yeah, another retrieval or another uh, transfer or whatever. I'd love to hear what else you find out, um, particularly because um, I think most of us are type A, but, you know, whatever information you find, <clears throat> whatever you want to share, um, I think people would love to hear it. So thank you so much for being here. I can't wait for us to talk again soon. And um, I'll probably end up on your page in like five minutes, just like <laughs> loving all the Good. stuff you post. So. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.